My name is Scott Chaloner and you are listening to the Leaders' Council podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. As regular listeners of our programme will know very well, part of our mission here at the Leaders' Council is to bring you a variety of distinct perspectives on leadership. And to this end, we're joined on today's programme by Will Crosthwaite, the CEO and founder of Find Me Sales, an AI business that helps customers find and contact B2B sales leads. Um, we're going to be talking all about his area of expertise today. Uh, will is very passionate about AI and has a demonstrated history of working in the tech sphere. Um, will, pleasure having you with us. And by all means, thank you for for joining us on the show. Thanks very much, Scott. It's, it's really great to be here and, and share the morning with you. And, and I'm looking forward to a really interesting conversation. Uh, myself as well, Will, for sure. And uh, just for those listeners uh, that might not be familiar with yourself and your business, um, I've, of course, given a little brief overview as to what it is that you do. But in your own words, Will, um, how would you sort of describe what it is that your business specializes in? So finally, sales basically uses artificial intelligence to automate the sales outreach and research processes and then give you automation flows that you can create to then help build and manage those relationships with those leads that you're looking to reach out to. Um, and this all starts from a real-time database mirror from the company's house database, but it's filterable and obviously real-time. And obviously in these challenging times, it's critical to have that real-time uh, ability to see the the, the overview of the landscape of your industry fantastic and i'd be interested as well to just kind of delve into sort of how you sort of got into sort of the ai industry uh, that part of technology i mean um, was it something that you were always passionate about and did you always know that kind of going into business in that realm was going to be sort of the pathway for you well, I mean, we've been having sort of AI waves since the 1970s, and, and I'm not that old just yet. So I've not been doing it a, a, a long, long time. I sort of stumbled into the AI world through my first business auditionist, which was two and a half thousand actors who would audition via video. And we started employing some automation tools. And at the same time, I started realizing that there were more and more automation tools out there that started sort of merging and bleeding into the AI sphere and, and being able to use natural language processing and stuff like that. And as I sort of witnessed the emergence of these new, very sort of potent technologies, I sort of obviously started exploring it. And um, my second business, Countrify, was a, an online booking place, uh, booking marketplace for countryside leisure and recreation activities. And basically with that, it became a bit of an automation project to see how quickly you could automate the social outreach. And we grew that Twitter following out to sort of 24,000 followers over the course of about four months. Um, so obviously very effective. And then sort of going through there, I the next company was called Kensai. And, and Kensai, we started employing uh, natural language processing to do social listening. And, and this is really where I started getting more deeply embedded in the AI space um, and, and started to work with these um, sort of organizations and businesses and the House of Lords Select Committee on AI, all of these sorts of, uh, sort of areas that sort of opened my eyes to the possibilities of, of artificial intelligence and how much it can help us uh, in our day-to-day lives. Yeah, there are a lot of practical applications to AI, aren't there? And there's also a lot of misconception, I feel. I mean, it can be used so effectively. Um, for instance, for example, you could use AI to uh, make sure that you sort of reduce your wastage if you're a supermarket business, for instance, uh, just by obviously looking at the metrics of who comes and shops in that store at a particular time. But I think maybe when you mention artificial intelligence to sort of the average Joe sometimes, I think they sort of get the idea that it's sort of this big, sexy technology that's going to take over the world or perhaps it's uh, going to sort of take 
like your jobs and all factories are going to be entirely robot automated in the future and stuff. And that's not the reality, is it? I mean, it's like it is there to essentially sort of help us in the day to day. And it can actually even be used to, you know, sort of help um, humans and human leaders make better decisions. Absolutely. And I mean, there's real potential and scope for this. I mean, when you talk about describing artificial to the, uh, intelligence to the average Joe in the agricultural sector, AI has a very different meaning because it's artificial insemination. So I get mm-hmm. some very strange looks when discussing that um, occasionally. But in terms of what it can do to help us and versus balanced against the sort of threats to society in terms of sort of job losses and the things that make the headlines and, and make people sort of worry about these emerging technologies. You know, I think in reality, it's that, you know, AI can do things really well. AI can help us automate the more humdrum um, sort of tasks in our life, but it shouldn't threaten our jobs. It should empower us to be able to do more whilst we're doing work. And I think that if you look at, especially from policymakers' perspective, sort of uh, decreasing productivity in the West has been a real sort of factor in the sort of decline uh, of some industries recently, you know, and, mm-hmm. and AI gives us the opportunity to be able to increase that productivity, not with more manpower, but with more applied intelligence. And, and if we can do that, then we can really stand, uh, stand a really good chance of going forward into this new government with, with the tools to equip us to be able to do great things. Yeah, absolutely right. And um, I think it's important to kind of touch on uh, the new government under Liz Trust and exactly what that can do to kind of really unleash the potential of business. Because I have had some conversations on this podcast uh, very recently, actually, um, about the fact that a lot of support for innovations and this includes obviously in AI as well, it seems very short-termist. It's very short, intense funding, intense support, and there isn't really any kind of long-term legacy program to allow that to really kind of take off into the future and take society forward. So do you think sort of a change of approach in that sense is needed? Yeah, I, I would I would certainly agree with that. I, I mean, ultimately, I've been doing this for now sort of, sort of 12 years in, the, in creating businesses, building them up, and then going to try and sell them. And, and ultimately, a lot of the programs that we've seen over that sort of 12-year horizon are deployed by sort of uh, non-governmental organizations or accountancy firms or, or anything like that. And, and ultimately, that leads to a short-termism because it's sort of a three-year horizon for the program. And then after that, all of those sorts of communities that have been built up and all of that great work and legacy from that program sort of starts dissipating other than the sort of relationships that it creates and the, the, the continuing relationships. I mean, I would love to see sort of a, a national center for entrepreneurship or an entrepreneurship institute or, or dare we say in a royal society of entrepreneurship to be able to sort of manage entrepreneurship and leadership over a longer period of time you know and potentially even employ entrepreneurs part-time to be able to run that center be able to vet new entrepreneurs but effectively be able to create a really strong community in the uk that has those lasting effects yeah, absolutely. And um, do you think when, if we think about leadership as well, I mean, it's like I think something that we maybe are a little bit guilty of in this country at times, and I think this sort of links into the, uh, the the culture that we have here is sort of a little bit of a fear of kind of like failure and setback. I mean, we're quite averse to that, aren't we? And maybe that sort of feeds into sort of why support sometimes can feel a little bit short termist rather than long termist. I mean, you don't necessarily want to commit to the long term in case obviously you find yourself having a string of setbacks. But ultimately, when we think of innovation, it's, it's trial and error, isn't it? That's essentially what it's born out of. 
Absolutely. I mean, a lot of this, uh, the technology, it takes a long time to get your head around it and to be able to deploy it into useful applications. And what you said is is completely true in the short-term horizon on the leadership scale front, because it's not giving us the opportunity to be able to develop people. And sort of in the 1970s, they had development deals and record labels, right? And people would be able to give them time and space to develop albums and maybe Arguably, we had better albums back then than when we have them now, right? But being able to support entrepreneurs through their journey with the technology, um, bearing in mind that these windows and horizons, um, the short windows and horizons, force companies to sort of go into the VC elevator, right? And if you need to start shortening your runway in order to be able to um, achieve more with your business, it drives you to away from the bootstrapping method that we do so well in the UK towards the more American Silicon Valley method of going and actually your business becomes an exercise in fundraising models mm. rather than actually the business that you're, you're the underlying problems you're trying to tackle with your business solution. Yeah, I certainly understand where you're coming from there. And um, fortunately, of course, um, we have spoken about kind of the need for this new government to back business. And we are recording this podcast on the uh, the 23rd of September 2022. So just for those listeners tuning in to put that into context, it is the day that um, the new Chancellor, Kwasi Kwarteng, has actually announced a string of tax cuts. So the planned corporation tax rise uh, set to come in in April uh, 2023, which would have taken rates from 19% to 25%. That has been cancelled. Um, we're also going to see from the 6th of November, the national insurance increase that came in in April 2022 reversed as well, which is going to save businesses a lot of money. And then also for individuals, um, income tax is being um, essentially um, reduced um, a year earlier than planned as well by uh, sort of uh, one pence for, to 19 pence from 20 pence. And that's coming in from April 2023. Um, and the idea as well uh, behind that, um, right at the other end of the uh, the spectrum, um, I should say, is that um, the Chancellor has also announced that the highest tax bracket, um, the uh, the 45% for those earning um, over £150,000 per year, is also being scrapped as well. And the idea of that, um, as in sort of Kwarteng's own words, is essentially to sort of unleash the potential of uh, business and incentivise people to come and do business in the uh, the UK. UK. Um, so just thinking about that um, yourself uh, there, Will, um, do you think that that is a statement that's really going to make business sit up and take notice and think, oh, we are being backed by this government, we are being supported, but obviously there will be need to be more to follow? Well, yes. I mean, ultimately, tax cuts and will, will hopefully stimulate business and, and the, the cancel uh, or the cancellation of that rise to 25% in the corporation tax means that people can actually do more with the money they're making from business to do business. And arguably, the businesses that are deploying the capital themselves are the best ones to make those decisions around the business. And, you know, giving it in the form of taxation, I think that that doesn't necessarily sim- stimulate business and, and get that going. I mean, personally, from the budget, I was most excited about the, the scrapping of the duty increase rises on beer and wine and spirit, mm. <laughs> <laughs> which I think will be some welcome relief for both the business community and everyone else. Absolutely. Um, yeah, like I said, there's, there's a lot of promising stuff in there as well. I mean, I think uh, for a lot of uh, young people especially, I mean, the, the changes to stamp duty as well are an incredible statement. I mean, there's, there's some there's some huge uh, stuff in there. I mean, of course, there is the gamble of the fact that, you know, we're increasing borrowing at a time where interest rates are cumulatively going up of course so that it's it, it is a gamble to a degree um and it's a gamble to try and stimulate economic growth and whether it pays off or not um in the long term at least what we are seeing is that the government is willing to really throw its weight behind business and i suppose what we need to look at next is the tax cuts are there to try and sort of incentivize people to come in 
now it's kind of giving businesses the tools to sort of really unleash their potential. Giving them more funds to spend and more funds to invest is a good start. But obviously, we do need to see just that little bit more. And I think that kind of links back to that long termist support that we've uh, that we talked about already. Absolutely. And, you know, I mean, there's in the entrepreneur and the investment community, there are sort of real issues that people people see. You know, I mean, people want the increase of the SEIF, the Seed Enterprise Investment Scheme, to go up from 150K to 250K. I personally would like to remove uh, state de minimis aid from that too, because, you know, it's a pitfall that many entrepreneurs and business leaders are finding when they're coming to raise money is that if they've done government accelerators, government programs, that counts towards the state de minimis aid. And it can be some up to sort of 40, 45 grand, which that's money that's actual cash that you can't go out and raise in an SEIS round. And, you know, some of these programs are excellent. I mean, we're on five accelerators. Some are really great. Some are less great, right? But you've got to make decisions and, and guard your equity and, and, and be able to sort of um, raise capital, and especially in the upcoming environment, right? We need to be able to stimulate that investment in business. And if you look at stuff, um, you know, preceding 2008, where we had the last sort of large financial contraction, mm. at that point, there was sort of of a real stimulation in in, um, in entrepreneurship across the UK because there were mass redundancies and, and people started their own businesses and some of those businesses are now worth millions which are pumping millions into the economy and also into HMRC's coffers so it benefits all of us by sort of trying to take a long-term approach and, and a view on these, these sort of various incentives that we can do to get people starting businesses and get people to grow those businesses and not sell them to the US at the end of that process ideally you know yeah, absolutely, because that that does seem to be the uh, the cycle, doesn't it? I mean, we we see we see businesses scaling up and then they're sold on uh, before obviously they can maximise their potential in the UK. So it's um it, it's that challenge, isn't it, of sort of keeping that business in uh, in the uh, the UK certainly. I mean, we do need more sort of domestic operators because it helps make uh, society far more self sufficient, doesn't it? Absolutely, and you know, in the UK, we we're really bad at coming up with amazing technologies and then basically not commercializing them because of all the things we've spoken about, and then those commercialization opportunities going abroad to America or, or Europe. And you know, we need to be capitalizing on this amazing UK brain power and all the investment we put into our UK citizens to go to the best universities in the world and have these best and great opportunities, and, and also the funding that comes from the various arms of government into these projects, it would be great if we could hold on to this homegrown talent and make it attractive enough. And arguably, there are people probably thinking that the market opportunity and the market size isn't as big as the US, and therefore, it's sort of a natural bridge to go over there. But, you know, I, I would hope that we could we could sort of further engage UK businesses, make the, uh, make the climate so attractive over here that we end up holding on to more of those businesses and more of that innovation and IP. Absolutely so. And um, I think if, if we can retain that in the UK and then if we're thinking about cashing in on markets like the US, we can then look to export business rather than sell it to other countries. That certainly would uh, would, would on paper seem a better approach. And uh, I think, again, I mean, it's like when, it, when we think about export and what maybe um, is preventing entrepreneurs from doing that. I don't think it's necessarily, particularly if you think about going the other way eastward, um, I don't think it's necessarily all down to red tape as a result of Brexit either. I think maybe, again, there's a, there's perhaps an innate fear there of maybe going and trying to sort of excel in a new market and that opportunity falling flat. And maybe we just need to sort of be a little bit braver. And again, we need to be looking to ministers to you know give business the backing to go out there and really succeed. Absolutely. And, you know, there's plenty of sort of programs around passport to export and, and things that 
all the different government departments offer to try and stimulate that sort of export um, drive in the UK. I mean, it, it depends on your industry. You know, if you're producing a physical product, it's much more difficult or it can be easier, it can be more difficult depending on the size of the product to export it, you know, internationally. But for services, and bearing in mind we're a service economy in the UK and yeah. we're definitely, you know, one of the largest in the world in terms of some of these service provisions that we offer to the world, you know, that we can definitely export and that is exciting. And as you say, it's about trying to mitigate the risk of going into those markets, both the capital risks of having to deploy into different markets, but also the, the, the risk of time and, and I think that it's critical that we try and sort of mitigate those risks on behalf of entrepreneurs and business leaders in order to be able to just have that confidence and get the you know brand UK PLC out there with our products and on the world stage as we already are. But you know we can always do more, and I think we should be looking to do that. Exactly right. Investment is all about confidence, certainly. And if we think about sort of export in the context of sort of the uh, the AI world as well, um, I understand yourself, Will, you've um, actually taken part in um, a trade mission to India on um, w- with regards to AI with the Foreign Office and the British High Commission. So um, were there any, I, I obviously appreciate the uh, the economic environment is a lot different now than it was um, at that point in time. But is there anything sort of that you took away as kind of a key lesson or learning from that experience that really made you think that, um, you know, there's a fantastic export opportunity for the uh, for the AI sphere here well yeah I mean it, it was quite incredible seeing what is a very very developed AI community over in India and we were doing stuff with Niti Iog and um, we sort of went with triple IT which is some of the universities over there and, and they're producing unbelievable technology so I mean the opportunity there is for collaboration especially around niche areas of AI and I don't want to get too technical here but mm. mixed language um, machine learning you know so being able to detect across two languages and this is something that's not as common an issue in the uk but in a place like india where there's vast amount of languages spoken over the subcontinent you've got um you know the need to be able to do two languages and be able to detect that and that's sort of the next level in 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 natural language processing and it's happening there um in terms of sort of the takeaways of what we could be doing with, with with sort of on a more national level. Um, we talked about sort of data uh, standardization and, da- and industry standardization for data mm-hmm. because that's sort of lifeblood for artificial intelligence. And one of the best things we've done in the UK is open up all the company data or our health data, obviously within the personal uh, um, sort of GDPR and, and, and you know, health specific, um, you know, confidentiality. But by being able to standardize internationally, we can really benefit from having better models and larger data sets to train models. And and I think that when you're looking to work abroad, it's not just selling abroad, but it's also collaborating with other countries and and people from other countries to be able to do things that maybe not be as easy in the UK to do it here, you know? Yeah, absolutely right. And uh, like I say, let's hope that obviously the potential of business is truly unleashed to go and do these great things. And hopefully we hang on to more of our uh, promising and exciting uh, startup businesses that are cropping up all over the country. Because as we talked about, I mean, good businesses do spring out of times of economic hardship. And we are in a period where the bank already thinks we're in recession. So I think this is the perfect opportunity for us to really channel that entrepreneurial spirit. But hopefully this time it's going to be sort of a little bit different. So we can really we can really cash in on the vast potential that's out there. 
Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, as you say, the UK has vast potential. It always has and it always will. I mean, we, we hit well above our weight when it comes to uh, to most things, right? And that makes me incredibly proud to say that as a British person. But, you know, it also is something that we could continue to increase. And I think if we collectively put our minds together as leaders, we can come up with new ideas that will put us even more out there and, and win us more business internationally and be able to spread our products and services over the globe. Um, in such a way that we, we benefit the whole of the UK. Mm, absolutely. And with us having, of course, exited the European Union and has having that real outward looking global Britain agenda, there's no better time, of course, to, uh, to cash in on all of that. And uh, as we really kind of start to see that hopefully take effect over the uh, the next 12 months and beyond, um, if we look ahead to just the uh, the next year in the context of your own company, Will Find Me Sales, um, mm. given that, you know, we're navigating a little bit of a tricky time and we're going to see these new government policies enter that are hopefully going to give business that backing. Um, are there any sort of key sort of milestones and ambitions that you've got lined up for this next year? Well, we're just at the beginning of our scale journey. And I mean, for us, that means customer acquisition. I mean, having the real time sort of oversight of the landscape in the UK is, is obviously integral to us and that outreach, because I think that the business landscape will change rapidly and, and being on top of that and being able to map your target audience and your target customers will become critical um, in, these, in these times going forward. Um, I think it's going to be a really interesting time for raising investment. and. Uh, Find Me Sales isn't going on that journey. We're, we're bootstrapping all the way through scale. But for, for many businesses, that's simply not possible. And I'm thinking about sort of deep tech businesses, hardware-related businesses, and businesses where there's a product. You need capital and investment to to go and build those out and, and to be able to really deploy them to, to their full ability. Um, you know, what my question the other night at a, at a law firm's drinks to some VCs was this, you know, what, what happens um, to founders who have just raised in the current climate if we see a 20 to 30% contraction and where will that leave them in these VCs funds? Um, and, and, you know, they said that they would have an adult conversation with the founders, but that would make me worry. And I think that, you know, that's something we need to try and think about going forward, especially as founders of businesses, you know, watch out where we're getting money from and, mm. you know, make sure that we can hit these targets and, and really grow through any any potential contraction that we see. And, you know, let's hope that we don't see a 20% contraction. We can weather it out or we can get through it and that will make it much easier for all of us. Um, but, you know, all indicators sadly point to the opposite, right? So so we need to prepare. We need to batten down the hatches. I know that in the US, they're saying to sort of pause hiring and I, I know that's not really popular to say on something like this, but mm. that's what they're looking to do because, you know, they're, they're worrying about preserving the cash runway that they've already got for their business to be able to extend it to a point where we can weather through this storm. Hopefully, energy prices start reducing, especially as we hopefully get nuclear power stations kicking in and things like that. Um, as we can sort of start, you know, stabilizing the economy, we just need to be able to get through this phase. And I think that it'll help with support from government, but it'll also help with making important business decisions and, and erring on the side of caution rather than and speeding ahead with full growth as we've seen for the last sort of five, eight, ten years, you know? Mm. Exactly right. It seems to be short-term pain for long-term gain, doesn't it? That's the strategy at this point in time and hopefully it will pay off uh, for the good of uh, the individual, for the good of society, for the good of the economy and most importantly for the good of business. And um, as obviously we start to see the... um, the, you know, the sort of fog clearing as it were on that situation and we see exactly what trajectory we're taking um, I think it'd be really productive actually well to uh, catch up and just uh, see uh, what's gone on since um, our conversation maybe have you back on the show to uh, discuss the situation at that point and who knows at that stage where the AI world's going to be and what innovations we're going to see coming out of that 
Scott, I would absolutely love to come back and, and have that conversation with you. And, and one of the most exciting things about the AI landscape is that it's fast evolving and, and there's always new exciting things to talk about, you know, with AI text generation, AI image creation. You know, it's a real world where there's a lot of excitement. So I'd love to come back and chat with you about it, Scott. Yeah, absolutely fantastic. And uh, to anybody as well who's been tuning into this uh, particular podcast uh, today and you want to find out a little bit more about uh, Will and his business, um, would uh, findmesales.com be the best port of call for that, Will? Am I right in saying? Findmesales.com is the window to my soul and life at the moment. So absolutely, if you go on there, you you can even sometimes catch me on live chat. (laughs) So let's have a conversation. Absolutely fantastic. And um, if, of course, uh, you do have something to say about um, any of the issues that we've discussed today on this podcast, you're able to leave comments uh, directly to us via leaderscouncil or oneword.co.uk forward slash contact hyphen us. And if you run your own business or head your own organization and you have your own um, take to share on these issues or any topical matter that may be relevant to you in your industry, you too can apply to be on the program to come and share your perspective with us as well. And that's via leaderscouncil.co.uk forward slash apply and who knows it could be you sitting down with me on the show next um for now you've been tuning into the leaders council podcast i've been your host scott challoner and i've been it's been a real pleasure to welcome real will crossthwaite from uh, find me sales um, alongside me on today's show um, will thanks ever so much for joining us and uh, do take care and uh, enjoy the weekend thanks very much scott lovely to uh, to, to have a chat today and, and i hope you have a great weekend too and to all of the listeners uh, please do look after yourselves and enjoy your weekends until next time take care all and goodbye